Hello, and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me as always, I have Josh Cacho. Josh, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Just, um, you know, the heart rates finally slowed down a few days after this match. You know, it's definitely one that uh, kept kept you up thinking about how well we both how well we played and how we didn't at times but you know again it's good to see uh, us come away with three points yeah it is funny we talked about this a little bit but on this second viewing I felt a lot better about our performance on the first one I was like "Ah, I'm not really sure how we you know we we got the win obviously we beat them four to two is right it was pretty convincing but I walked away from my second viewing feeling much better about the overall performance uh, in total. So again, we're going to be recapping our 4-2 win over the New York Red Bulls. And uh, we have a handful of listener questions, so I think this is going to be a good episode because it's one of those games where we were tested. There's a few more things to break down and, uh, and, and really dig into. So Josh, I have titled this Fullback Appreciation Night. What did you see out of the fullbacks in this match that you really liked? I mean, outside of, um, you know, obviously Harvey got the, the his first goal in, I think, two years, something crazy mm-hmm. like that. Since 2017. Uh, yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, the biggest thing was that those guys just played a super composed and professional game, right? When, when there were moments in the game where, you know, our best players looked a little bit disheveled, a little bit disorganized, those were the guys that were keeping you know, that really were keeping the shape, that were really just the ones that were exactly where you needed to be, when you wanted them to be, all those types of things. And I think, like I said, without those two, you know, I'm not sure you, you know, maybe you draw, but I'm again, I don't know if you come away with, with the same result that we ended up getting. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like one of the interesting things that we try and do here, I think, is uh, we try and hit wave tops that get us into the tactics. And I feel like, you can basically get into all the big moments of the game for LAFC just by breaking down what happened with the fullbacks. Um, Because they did put in one of those solid veteran performances where you realize, oh yeah, this is why we keep these guys on the team. Like these guys are absolutely solid. Um, So let's get into that first Harvey goal. Uh, And it comes, it comes on on a set piece and I think it's Dio that's taken down. Um, on this play, correct me if I'm wrong there, Josh, but, um, Dio's taken down near the right wing. So we're going to have a left footed, you know, in swinger from Carlos Vela and Harvey is the one in the middle. He's right in between Aaron Long and Tim Parker. Again, the $15 million man, apparently, and the other MLS defender, uh, of choice and just completely breaks free. Nobody marks him. And is able to score this this header. Uh, congrats to you on the celebration. For those of you who haven't heard yet, he and his wife are expecting their second child. So big night for him. Gets his first goal in two years. And I have to believe that this that LAFC were watching some sort of film and caught something on tape uh, because the one uh, their second set piece goal comes from uh, Eddie Segura on it almost an identical play. Josh, did you see anything in these two plays that, uh, that really stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, it, it looks, it looks like there, there must, there, they get, 
again, it seems like they're in. It was at first. I initially thought that they were in a man marking scheme. You know where where they were supposed to play some. You know they're supposed to pick a guy and basically stay with him all the way through. But the more you watch it, it looks like they're just in a straight zonal drop back. And what ended up happening was that a couple of they make these these diagonal runs that kind of pull the shape and make pull the shape in different directions, and it ends up you get, end up getting like Tim Parker watching the guy behind him instead of the guy in front of him, who's the guy who's, mm-hmm. you know, who eventually is the man who's free for the header type of thing. And so it's like where they, where they're making the runs in between the lines is basically what, what, what draws a defender away from who probably who he's supposed to be marking. And then it's late to the ball. So again, yeah. I think they, they ran the same set play about three times this game, because I think there's a later play, um, in the beginning of the first half or beginning of the second half where Dio, Dio gets hacked down by Kamar Lawrence, but it's essentially the same play, right? And I think mm-hmm. I think the the target generally on most of our set pieces has been um, usually is Walker and Mark Anthony K. In this game, it was Tristan Back- Blackman and K who were the the backs like the the back post runners. Which mm-hmm. again, I think as they're making that run, it it freezes the um it freezes one a couple of the center backs just a half second where now our two guys in the middle are open so again they must have seen something in terms of how red bull are marking out of that out of that zonal marking scheme on set plays that if they make the runs at a certain depth or you know with a certain um positioning it was going to pull them in pull them out of out of um again out of out of sorts right I think it's interesting you you bring up that Dio when Dio gets brought down as well because he turns around the camera catches it very briefly he turns around and starts motioning to somebody behind him he had Blackman and Beta behind him I think at that moment and kind of gives them this look of like hey hurry up and get in position so we can play this like everybody get up um so I I definitely agree with you there there must have been something that they saw they stack Dio Blackman and Mark Anthony K, who are, you would think are the targets, all three on the back post, and just nobody decides to mark either Harvey or, or Segura on, a, on either one of those plays. Yeah, the, it's like the uh, last two guys are the back post runners are the ones that are clearly marked, but then mm-hmm. the way that they make they angle the run, I believe it's from the second guy, it pulls the person who's to be watching the third guy f- backwards to help out with it, which frees up the, the third guy in the line, which mm-hmm. I believe was. Harvey on the first, Segura on the second, and then Dio on the third, all which yeah, provided yeah. opportunities to score. Right. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, Harvey's also involved in in the penalty that Atuesta earns, um, kind of shifting gears from, from these set pieces. Harvey did a lot of work in the attacking third. He he was great there last week as well, picked up two assists. Um and this week, you saw him and Atuesta and Segura a couple of times. Uh, we always bring up Pep Guardiola in Barcelona. Uh, they form these perfect little passing triangles in the attacking third. And I'm not really sure what an, what an opposing defense is supposed to do. If you have the confidence to have both a center back and your left back combining with your defensive midfielder on the left wing. Um, that's the kind of overload that, you know, if we do get caught, it's going to lead to a quick counterattack. But if you have that con- that confidence to to play that way and the skill to actually pull it off, it's going to be devastating. And, and in this case, it was. You see, uh, I think there's a 
Diego Rossi cross that gets knocked. I think it's headed away by Tim Parker or Aaron Long. And uh, Segura is the one that charges forward and picks it up. And you see, again, one of these triangles with Segura, Harvey, and Atuesta. And again, it's it's like this little rondo that they have where they're just passing, you know, two touch passes, moving the ball, and then making a run. And on this one, Harvey cuts inside, and Segura actually makes a run to his outside and then cuts back in, uh, kind of central in the box. And then that's when we get the little center back heel flick uh, to Atuesta, who runs in the box and is just destroyed by, again, I think his name is Buckmaster, uh, which seems like a crazy name, but apparently it's real. And then, of course, that's Carlos Vela's 23rd goal on the season on the ensuing penalty. Uh, did you notice these little passing formations that we were into in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I think it was actually the adjustment that led to what, you know, what eventually won the game, right? I think the biggest thing in the first in the first half in that spell where we just didn't look very good was a lot of guys picking the ball up and then trying to drive the ball forward on their own, mm-hmm. you know, um, taking one extra touch or trying to dribble through traffic as opposed to the second half, which was, again, I think, Bob probably at the half basically was yelling at everyone saying no more than two touches per person. Yeah. Um, and then the ball just has to move. So what you see a lot of is that the space looks better, you know, and again, rather than, rather than dominating just the space, right. With guys running forward and doing different things, there, there was much more emphasis on dominating the possession. So what you don't see is, you know, guys picking with the ball and carrying it forward. It's, it's pass and move, right? So it's mm-hmm. one ball here, hit it to, you know, Atuesta, who now takes one touch, fires it up to K or to Latif, who then finds a forward immediately, right? Um, as opposed to what you were seeing a lot of was one of the eights picking up the ball from Atuesta. So whether that's Latif or Mark Anthony K, picking it up at the midfield and then trying to dribble and drive the ball downfield in transition. Um, again, the way that Red Bull play was just not going to work well there. That's, I think, what they were inviting because then the second that ball gets moved to the wing, then they come charging out on their on their press. So, again, there was a concerted effort. I think Bob realized what where they were where they were pressing from and how they were going about it. Um, again, it's more of a zonal type of press than anything. And again, to beat it, it has to be just that quick passing. You know, just quick passing, form those little triangles, make them basically. Um, you know, tire themselves out by just trying to chase the ball, right? right. It's that old adage is the ball moves faster than the feet. Right, right. You learn that when you're like 10 years old at practice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like one of my favorite things to do as a coach is ask who the fastest kid on the team is in the first practice and then see if we can outrun the ball. Um, we we did get a question about that from at Tetlow. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, the He's also got 800 meters and running. Um, so this is for you. He asked, see anything in particular the team did different in the second half to get the game back under control. And I do think you've diagnosed it exactly right where throughout the entire second half, you see the passing triangle set up, you see one or two touch passes. Um, and everyone, you know, some of the, the passes come off a little bit more sloppy as a result, but what, it, what that does is it helps to, um, avoid avoid that that famous Red Bulls press where they're coming after the ball handler um, and you see us get in trouble a, f- a few times with it where Latif will take too many touches or like you said, Kay will take too many touches in the midfield or Blackman was one of their pressing triggers as well. And 
um, in the second half, you see, especially out to West, I think this is one of my favorite things to watch him do is this kind of Sergio Busquets uh, type, you know, these little moves that he does. He's got a croquetta in, I think, like the 55th minute or something where he brings a ball from his right to his left and immediately passes it out to the wing to Harvey. Uh, he's really clever. There's another one where his first touch is a flick over a defender that he runs on to. Hey, he and did that second, in his own box. Like yes. Towards the end of the first half. It was just filthy. He's, he's just great to watch. He's, he's amazing to watch because he is so confident on the ball and so calm under pressure um, that I, I do think that Busquets is becoming more and more of a viable uh, or an appropriate comparison. Not that he's at that level, but that style of play, um, which is interesting because I think Bob is the, is always talking about Busquets to, to K. Um, and I, I think that's the one that K claimed for himself during the all-star break interviews. Um, and anyway, it's, it's that kind of play that leads to us getting, getting the game back under control. So if you do happen to go back and watch, make a note of, you know, how many touches the guys are taking um, in the first half versus the second half. One of the things that I noticed in the first half, too, especially at the beginning, is I think we tried to play out of it, out of the press by playing long balls. A couple of them came off, you know, relatively well. Miller has a handful of, you know, like deep throws. Um Blackman has a nice ball to Rossi in like the 26th minute or something, which I think may lead to one of the kind of spring the attack for one of the goals. Um, And then I think after the team starts to get a little bit more settled in, that's when we really start holding the ball. And, you know, like the last 10 to 15 minutes of the first half is where we get into a lot of trouble, where you see the, the bad giveaway from Latif, who just doesn't feel the pressure after the ball's cleared. And that leads to the first goal um, and, a, and a couple of other bad giveaways that just turn into these counterattacks. Um, anything else on the second half adjustments or first half mishaps? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was, you know, I I think it's important to point that and I was having this conversation with um, with Benjamin from Harley FC, right? And, you know, obviously he was pointing out how you know, he wanted to make sure that it was noted how, how far the team has come and these different types of things, you know, and one of the things I, I, I was trying to bring up was that, you know, I think we're, we're down to more the, their, their moments of, you know, there it's more like one or two moments per game where you just, you're left scratching your head. It's like, what are you thinking? Right. Mm -hmm. Versus an entire half or, you know, uh, you know, it's, again, it was, seven minutes of bad play and then the rest of the game that you know lafc really just dominated it for the you know for the remainder of it right? right and even in even in like for example the carson game right it's literally three moments where you know where you allowed one of you know the the best players that's ever done it to to now have his moments but for the rest of the game you know especially you know in in that game when when lee came on you really controlled things right the LA's back in 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 that dominant mode, right? And again, so for in this particular game, right, you had what eighty minutes, you know, seventy five to eighty minutes of LA really just taking it to them and looking how they should. But then there's that ten minutes where you know you really just have to scratch your head and wonder what's going on. And you know, part of it is a again they 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 are have been so good and so 
you know, and so clever on the ball that they feel that they can play through anyone. And that's the, that's the confidence that Bob's instilled. Right. But mm-hmm. then, you know, and that's kind of led to some questions where, you know, especially as they add in players like, you know, Brian Rodriguez or, you know, even Palacios at left back, if you're going to have a more dynamic attack and a, an attack that's, you know, that tends to be more free flowing and, you know, more overlapping runs, more, more driving forward from the, you know, from the, from the fullbacks, what, what the midfield, my question was at that point, right. Does the midfield have to be, you know, more of a stable platform um, for the offense at that point. And I think that that's what you started to see after they scored the two goals, right. They get a little bit cute. They're starting to push numbers forward almost in anticipation because, you know, on the, on that first goal where blessing takes the extra touch, loses the ball, you know, you actually see at Tuesta like, take five or six steps down the other direction because he just assumes that Latif is going to take care of it. Right. Right. On the right. first goal. Right. Whereas normally he's, you know, he's getting back. He's supposed to be the deepest line midfielder. Well, if you're the deepest line midfielder, why are you the one that's taking up, you know, taking off down the field, ready to, to spring the counterattack? Right. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's a team that's used to having all the possession. It's a team that's used to having time in the ball and just people are, are just trying to absorb the pressure and again, are are very confident in their skills, um, you know, in large part to what Bob has, the confidence that Bob has in them, right? Because again, Bob's a guy that, I mean, I'm, you know, if, if he gains your trust, he's going to let you try a lot of different things. But again, you have to be able to gain his trust to do those things as well on both the offensive mm-hmm. and defensive end. And so, you know, whether that's Latif flying in to make, you know, incredible tackles, probably out of position but again that's that's what he's asked him to do you know you you are you're good with that risk because it's a smart football idea right the interplay right. between the forwards that are smart football ideas so you're okay with the risk that you take but the question is when you take those risks is is the person that's not involved in the play going to make sure that they provide the balance and stability needed to you know to to not give up at, at uh, more of these chances right because again red bull had a couple more chances that, you know, you know, whether Tyler Miller made a great save. Yeah. I think he had one where Royer, you know, cut it back and had a nice shot on target and, and Miller made a diving mm-hmm. save, um, you know, right out after that first goal they gave up. And, you know, again, it's just one of those things where they're going, you know, striking that balance and understanding, you know, where, after you've sprung an attack, kid, do I, do I do I just let them do their thing, or do I am I ready for the next play to occur immediately after and putting yourself in a position to um, you know to assume the space um, that's vacated and so on and so forth? Again, it doesn't always happen, and you know again they're going to have to figure those things out along the way, you know. But again, yeah. it's it's again it's part of it is 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 the confidence, and the other part of it is in the nature of the the style of game that they do play. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that last chance that you mentioned um, where Miller comes up with a save, I think this is the one. It's uh, Atuesta's caught kind of on the on the left wing a little bit. We lose possession, and it turns out that Blessing and Kay are both pushed up the field as well. And if I'm remembering this one correctly, Kaku picks it up and sees Royer on the other side of the field. And there's nobody to intercept the switch. And the switch actually comes through on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a big, you know, aerial diagonal that you think you have to play over the midfield. It just plays it right through. And ideally, you're going to have a deep-lying midfielder there to to just intercept that ball 
So nobody from the back line has to come out and grab it. Um, and in this occasion, nobody does because nobody's there and it finds the feet of Royer. And again, it's a bit of a moot point because they don't end up scoring. But uh, I think that kind of illustrates what you're talking about, where maybe what it is is they just need to be a little bit more disciplined with or, you know, communicate a little bit better on, okay, Edward's leaving. So Blessing's got to stay back or Kay's got to stay back, you know. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, it, we're winning. So whatever. it's definitely a situational and positional awareness, right? And, you know, I think they're definitely improved, you know, game by game. Like, you know, the Atlanta game, I wanted, you know, I wanted to rip my hair out because I thought it was, they were so bad at it. Or, <laughs> and the San Jose game, previous that in the Open Cup was the worst of it, right? Where you're, you're pushing so many numbers forward and doing different things where you're just leaving yourself vulnerable to these attacks, you know, because again, the, the you're, you have the front three already already doing their thing and inter you know doing their interchange and moving also all over the place but then beyond that now you have Jordan Harvey pushed up on the left hand side and then also both Kay and Latif crashing the party and then Atuesta trying to sneak in there to get involved with the offense as mm-hmm. well so you what we're left with two guys back right to stop counterattacks yeah um yeah. you know again it it's it's the nature of of the style of game that you're going to play and the, and also the nature of having to go up against defenses that are largely just wanting to sit back and let, absorb pressure. But at the same time, again, you have to have that awareness to, you know, maybe not go for a one-time volley if you're the safety valve or, you know, right. or to instead of picking up the ball and trying to move forward that you just, you know, get that ball moving quick, recycle it, get it moving quickly. Again, there's a, yeah. there's a time. You know, it's interesting. But striking the balance between uh, you know possession and and space is is going to be important moving forward. Right. It's interesting you mentioned um, you know like being a smarter safety valve because one of the things we've talked about uh, I had not planned on discussing this but I'm glad you brought it up was uh, Latif blessing as as the safety valve especially when he's at right back and you saw him a couple times uh, standing off of set pieces um, as as one of those safety valves typically beta or uh, Atuesta is back there as well and Latif had a couple of them where he ended up picking up the rebound and I feel like he definitely learned his lesson from the Atlanta match which is where he really ran into trouble with it because he I think on two different occasions picks up the ball dribbles backward a little bit and then plays a good back pass rather than again like you said going for the one-time volley and you know mangling it because Atuesta is not on the same page as he is um, so it's kind of like you said, there are certain things that where you see improvement and it's not so much, you know, like these end of game collapses that like we used to have. It's really just moment to moment. There will be a lapse and a good team will capitalize on it. a good teams like uh, like Red Bulls or Portland or Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it happens to the best teams, right? I mean, like, for example, look at Barcelona in the Champions League. Get, it got caught in a set piece, right? And Barcelona is one of the top you know, three or four yeah. best teams in the world and they still get caught sleeping right on a, on a mm-hmm. play like that. So, you know, can I, can I give you a quick anecdote on that? I do this a lot to you. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I own both a Liverpool and a Roma Jersey because of the games that they had in the semifinals against Barcelona. There you go. So Roma, because of what they did coming back from, I think it was four nil down and they had to, you know, then they just start bombing these long passes into Aiden Jekko in 2017 that was right yeah it was the and then Liverpool year. because of what they did this last year um coming back again in very similar fashion but sorry 
Sorry to interrupt you. There. No, I mean, but again, it's like it, you know, it's it's case in point, right? That again, the the best teams are even you know the best teams in the world are going to have moments and lapses of judgment and lapses of like head scratchy moments. But as long as you can limit it to moments as opposed to entire halves or, you know, the last, you know, the end of every game that you're playing down the stretch of the, you know, down the playoff stretch, which it seemed like at times last year, you know, again, those are the start, those are the things that I think look much different from year to year now, right? Is, you know, from last year to this year is while we made a lot, you know, I think there was a line in the, in the, uh, we are LAFC documentary where Bob says, you know, basically just asked him, like, we can keep, you know, why why are you basically making the same mistakes that lead to these things right we can keep making these or we can mm-hmm. make changes and they never made those changes last year you know whether it's a personnel thing or just a mentality thing you know who knows what what the reason was ultimately but again for the essentially the last you know 5 to 7 games including the including the um, playoff game right just tended to make bad decisions at the end of the game and now what you're starting to see is again, yeah. yeah they'll have a moment here or there but it's usually in a time that they you know again like this red bull game right they they have they do it in the end of the first half right which gives you right a whole half plenty of time a whole half to adjust and change and then now be overwhelming for the second half where you're either going to leave with a draw or you're going to come out with a win right versus leaving it to the last 10 minutes to lose a game that you were up for nothing, you know, or up three, nothing to start off with. Yeah. The pacing I think is better. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, the, the ability to go in at the half and come back out with an altered game plan that functions and, and is effective for the, you know, the rest of the game that the next 45 minutes is incredibly important. The fact that they come out and completely change up what they're doing, no more direct balls, no more, you know, trying to dribble away from pressure. We're just going to, you know, play one and two touch passes. Um, I think it's Alex Dwyer that had a, of the season pass podcast, and he writes for MLSsoccer.com as well. Um, and FCFC. Yes, yes. Um, he ends up asking Harvey about this, if there was a plan to for everybody to get in a back heel. Um, and after I heard that question on the second rewatch, I, I started, I kept a tally of how many back, you know, back heels and little flicks I saw. And the number that I got to was eight. Um, and I, I think it's about 75% of those are effective just because, you know, you're able to flick it away from somebody that's charging in during the press. So, and you see Carlos Vela, he's, he's being really creative with them. He's got one to Latif. He's got another one that he plays behind his leg, his, his other leg. Um, I think that may have been DeRossi on the right wing. Um, but it looked like they were just having fun doing this. Um, so not only are they adjusting their game plan, but they're being creative and appearing to have a lot of fun doing so. Um, so that's very promising to me, the fact that we've kind of patched over what was a, a major weakness last year. Um, Josh, we are still talking. We still haven't even moved on to what we saw from beta. Uh, we've already been through, I think three of the four goals. Um, beta Shore also had a fantastic game. One of the things that I noticed from him was in the 12th minute, he comes over to take a throw in near our technical area. And he has a little conversation with Bob about what he sees. And you can see him making hand motions 
back and forth, I assume, meaning, you know, like where, what their press triggers are, what kind of runs they're making. Um, I think it's really underrated to have a savvy veteran on the back line, especially on a night where we have to rotate uh, Tristan Blackman in at center back for Walker Zimmerman. Did you see anything else from him that made you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think he, both he, he and Harvey are just professional defender. Like the only way to describe their performances is just professional, mm-hmm. right? They know where to be. They know how to be. They know when to make the run. They know when to overlap. They they know when to underlap. They know when to not push forward, right? Yeah. Um, and those types of things. And they're going to be able to make those adjustments on the fly, right? They there There's an understanding, you know, you'll see Beta change his positioning with certain things. Um, based on what what the other team is doing, right? As opposed to again trying to to play through it, I think they're you know I think with when you get to a certain point, you know, and I think you know we can probably both attest to this when when some of the athleticism starts to go, you have to make up the difference with with your brain, yeah. right? And that's that tends to be what what Beta and Harvey will do, um, given certain circumstances. Again, sometimes the guys that are more athletic than them will put them into bad circumstances where mm-hmm. now they may get blamed for something that someone else is doing. But at the same time, like I said, if you look at the way that they play, um, you know, like I think beta balances the field better than anyone on the team, right? Like one of the biggest, big, you know, complaints or however you want to put it is that when we're pushing forward in numbers and as we're doing the, the sweet back heels and rotations and all these different things, Right someone has to make sure that the defense is stable and it's always beta. Yeah. Right. So if you watch, watch where he is, right. He's not always over, you know, he's not always on the overlap. He's not always doing certain things, right. When you see Atuesta go forward, what you see beta do instead is tuck in, right. And play next right. to, you know, he'll move, he'll move, um, you know, either Walker or in this case, Blackman more centrally. And then now he's forming a back three, you know, mm-hmm. and there was another play when the, the, Vela picks up the ball in the middle of the field. Now you have Beta making a run from all the way out on the right wing, yeah. cutting in and almost has an opportunity. If Vela gets the ball off his feet, which he almost did, right? Then then uh, Beta's you know free on goal. Yeah, right? I was so going to say that. Those types of things, you know, like again, like they're they're the guy that don't take the extra touch, right? They're the ones that are that are 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 never bothered by a press. Right. Right. Whereas, again, some of the guys that are known for the dribbling for some of those things are the ones that we're getting that were turning the ball over and doing those different things mm-hmm. again. But that's what you get from guys who have been in the league in a while. And keep in mind, right, Bate is the only one on the team with with a trophy. Right. He did win MLS Cup with um, with uh, Toronto, uh, Toronto. Right in their in their unbelievable, you know, like the year when they had initially set the points record mm-hmm. about three years ago when they were supposed to go in, and I think a big part of why they didn't end up winning Concacaf is honestly because they let Beta go in the in the expansion draft. Yeah, right. Yeah, Beta definitely more so than Harvey. I feel like Harvey gets involved in possession on the left hand side, where Beta seems to see openings on the right wing. And that run that you're talking about was an absolute gut buster. I mean, he is flying down the wing on that run. Uh, And I feel like it's those moments where he realizes like there is a ton of space and I'm going to get there no matter, no matter what the the condition of my hamstrings is right now. Um, So he's fun to watch because he he makes those kind of moves. Another play that I wanted to bring up from him was 
in stoppage time of the first half. And I don't remember. I might have it in my notes. There's a bad giveaway in the midfield. It might even be like a Blackman a Blackman pass is trying to break the, the lines and it, it's intercepted. And Royer is sitting off of his right shoulder, Betashore's right shoulder. And they're in that back three that you mentioned where it's Segura and Blackman and Beta. And it's either Kaku or White or maybe Caceres uh, who picks up the ball and sees Royer uh, making a diagonal run in between Betashore and Blackman. And he plays in like a chipped ball over the top. But what's interesting about this play is when uh, when Royer starts his run, Beta initially starts running with him. And to me, it looks like he's baiting him into it. Maybe that's reading too far into this, but uh, Beta seems to be keeping pace with him, which is likely making Royer run faster. But Beta keep, does a good job to keep his eye back on, on the, whoever the midfielder is that plays in the ball. And as soon as that ball is about to be played, he stops and jumps back towards uh, the opposing goal to make Royer offside by a mile. Um, and it ends up being a miss from Royer, but you see Beta is very, very angry at the end that the linesman let it go so so long because he's so clearly offside. Um, and again, that kind of attests to the savviness that, that Beta has on that uh, in that right back spot where you know he can basically play a one-man offside trap against somebody like Daniel Royer. So just overall yeah. very impressive tonight i mean i think you know like i said i think that's why our 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 episode tonight is entitled right the fullback appreciate that because i think at yeah. the end of the day we, while you know you know we're all excited about the signing of you know chiqui palacios and you know what he'll what he can possibly bring to the team you know as soon as this year honestly you know and this is, you know, this is going to be my hot take, which I don't really give them very often. But I think the one thing is you're not, we're not winning MLS Cup without Jordan Harvey and, and Stephen Betashore. Yeah. In some way or another, it's not going to happen, right? Because of the way that MLS plays. And again, this may, this not necessarily have to do with how well, how well, or doesn't, you know, how, you know, this, this probably nothing to do with the actual quality that we're going to get from Palacios. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why you say that is be- given the way that the majority of teams play in the playoffs where it just becomes overly defensive, right? The Red Red Bull have had the best record in the league, I think, for like the last two years, right? Mm-hmm. And haven't made it out of the East because simply because everyone plays counterattack, right? right? And so the press doesn't really do much for you, um, you know, doesn't do much for you against a bunk- a team that's parked the bus, Right. And again, with the majority of teams doing that, especially in the playoffs, what you need at that point is balance and composure and those different things. And what and the people that give that to you the most, right, are Beta Shore and Harvey. Right. So right. in a game that you're in a, in a one off game where you just have to be smart with the ball and make good decisions, right? Yeah, you could potentially go with an athletic guy in Blackman or with a you know, with a you know someone like Blasio who's going to be able to create from from the left fullback position, and that may mm-hmm. be important to break down a team that is parking the bus. But at the same time, to protect the lead, to protect you know, um, you know, to protect a run at the cup. In all honesty, it's going to have to come from professional defenders like Beta and Harvey. Yeah, uh, we're thirty five minutes into this, and we still haven't talked about the pass of the night, which comes from Beta. Again, uh, the title of this episode being Fullback Appreciation Night. Um, 
Beta Shore has an absolute dime of an assist to Latif Blessing that honestly could have been scored by Rossi had he been expecting the goal or Blessing, who actually does score it. Um, and this one comes, uh, interestingly enough, Vela's central and kind of behind the, the striker. Um, so he's drawing a lot of attention from the midfield. So the, the defense is disorganized. Kamar Lawrence doesn't know what to do because his man is now in midfield. So he's kind of drifted central as well and is playing behind the line and is ultimately the guy that keeps Beta on side when uh, Tuesta plays in this ball. I think on Sunday we gave credit to Vela for the initial ball in, but it's actually Atuesta that plays this ball into Beta Shore, who just flips his hips and plays this perfect one-time cross uh, on, right on the deck, and it finds the feet of Latif Blessing. Um, also, shout-out to whichever fan had a Peña Roll jersey right there in the stands. Uh, I don't know if you caught that one or not, but... As, yeah, in the, as, in the, and right at the, in the, what's it called, right? In the, in the south end, like right yes, at the goal. Yes. So Latif goes over to high five all the fans uh, because he's a man of the people. Um, and somebody's holding out a Peña Roll jersey over the, over the little wall there. It's fantastic. But again, this pass from Beta Shore is just incredible. First time, just the right amount of spin to get it, you know, in, to keep it in front of Robles and to, to find somebody at the back post. Um, and Latif gets his second his second goal in two weeks. Um, well, but it also really taking is taking out three defenders. Yes. Yes. And I, he probably left something on Robles on that, on that one as well. Um, but, oh man, just a beautiful, beautiful ball from beta shore. So again, fullback appreciation night. Um, do you have anything left to say on these guys before we start moving somewhere else after 38 minutes on this podcast? No, I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> uh, so again, thank you veteran fullbacks from the counter press. Um, let's see. I think we have a couple more questions here. Do you want to keep going on this game at all? Or yeah. do you want to get into some of these questions? Let's, let's, I mean, I think we pretty much covered the majority of the game. Let's go, mm-hmm. go to the questions and see what else we got. Okay. So our next, actually the next two questions come from the same guy. So shout out to at call me Danny for sending in two questions. Uh, the first one he has is, are there any other teams left on the schedule that could press us like Red Bulls did? Um, Josh, on our schedule, we have uh, Salt Lake, San Jose, and Galaxy immediately with a handful of other teams mixed in. But to my eye, there's nobody else that's going to press us like Red Bulls will. What do you think? Yeah, the closest thing is going to be San Jose with their men marking scheme. Mm-hmm. It's a different style, however. Um, you know, Galaxy press in the midfield from a mid block, but it's more of a high pressure, like a you know an increased pressure mid block, just trying to turn you over. Fabio Alvarez will drop down and you know harass harass um, Atuesta, but not mm-hmm. to the extent that that New York did, where they're flying all over the pitch. So, you know, again, somewhat similar to what we see from our own team. Um, you know, again, the the rest of the teams, the rest of the way are pretty much either mid mid or low block defenders with you know they're gonna play five at the back really just pack it in and turn trying to counterattack. yeah i think it'll be interesting to see what salt lake do having fired mike mike pecky this week um if they keep with that same kind of tactical we're just going to absorb pressure in a low block and try and hit you on the counter um or if they're going to try and open up the game more at home and try and make a statement yeah i mean i just don't know what were you saying 
I, I think you typically see that with guys that have lost the locker room. Um, and I don't think Mike Pecky ever lost the locker room. I think he's just probably uh, not a very good person to deal with, especially if you're a ref or uh, you don't want to be verbally abused. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, for all what I heard, like they were actually planning on extending him, heading, you know, that was the report that came today. I think it is in Petke's statement um, that right. that they said that he he was actually they were actually in the process of going through an extension until they decided to terminate his contract. You know, mm-hmm. you know, understandably so, and uh, and it's just bad. It's just bad for business at at minimum. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at, I mean, either way, I, I don't think you're going to get any kind of new pressing scheme out of Salt Lake in six days. No, so. and you know, and obviously they've actually been playing well. Um, you know, without him, you know, since, since he was suspended at the end of June, mm-hmm. right. I think they've only, they had only, they had, I think they've only lost one game since they lost to us in the open cup. Um, so far, right. um, again, they're, they're the, the issue with them and the reason why they're probably, you're probably not going to see too much from it is that their midfield is not the most talented, right. Their, their forwards are, are phenomenal, right. You have Savarino, who is a, you know, who does he play? He plays for Venezuela, I believe. Uh, Jefferson Santorito yeah. is a yeah. Venezuelan international. You know, he lit up U.S. national team in the in that friendly that we lost like 4 nothing. Careful. Yeah. Careful. And you then, don't want to get uh, into it yet. Yeah, I know. Save right? it. And then <laughs> um, they Rusnak and Albert Rusnak and Demir Krylock are, you know, are really the good. The karate up top. kid himself. Mm-hmm. And then... I think in Sam Johnson, who's was there like DP ish shining, mm-hmm. um, is is another guy that's returning from injury, and so they're going to get all their all their top scores, and then Corey Baird, who was Rookie of the Year, right, has yeah. also been playing well for them. So given their front line, right, they're they're good. they're definitely a team that has enough talent to punish you, you know, if you if you get caught out of position and then but then again, there are two central midfielders in Everton, Louise and Cal Beckerman. I mean, Cal Beckerman. I feel like he's been playing, you know, played for Bob Bradley at some point on the national team. Yeah, yeah. So he's been around for a while. He's a guy that, you know, he's he's there to be an enforcer, to sit in there and just, you know, and to make life dif- difficult for guys like Carlos Vela and, you know, and and Diego Rossi. They're, you know, they're, they're going to just kind of sit back and help protect that back right. line. And so, again, I I think what you're likely to see is just more absorb and, and hit that long ball. Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a good time for us to have, figured out some of our set piece woes um because you know that salt lake is going to play a very physical game and that kyle beckerman is just going to be hacking people down um because that's a big part of their game to be quite to be quite frank is they're they're going to play very physical um and i think one of our weaknesses this year has been our inability to punish people for doing so because we'll take set pieces and we won't do anything but once we start to punish teams more frequently for hacking down Vela or Dio or Rossi uh, by scoring goals off of those set pieces, you're going to have, you're going to see teams that they have to adjust. Um, So that's a long way to say, no, Salt Lake won't press us. (laughs) Uh, Like you said, San Jose will press us, but it's a very different system where they're going to man mark everybody, but uh, the center back, but one center back. Yeah. But one center back. Correct. Um, so and the way you go about beating that is very different too. We can get into this next week, but uh, the basic, how you saw us beat it on Sunday night against Red Bulls, the, the kind of more of a zone, a zonal press is to pass and move around whoever's coming after the ball carrier. Uh, 
And uh, with a man marking system, obviously it's going to be a lot of one-on-one duels. So you got to see, you're, we're going to have to see people beat their their man off the dribble. And, you know, we're going to, and then runners beating them, beating their guys so we can we can open up some passing lanes. Oh, that is so the perfect game for game. like a Brian Rodriguez to to feature in. Yeah, absolutely. Another playmaker who's good on the ball. I would even say Diego Palacios, who's going to uh, beat people one-on-one. Um, he absolutely murders people when he's on the ball on the wing. His ability to get past the defender and then play an, an absolute dime of a cross uh, because he created the space is incredible. So I don't know if Bob's going to risk it against uh, against a team coming in uh, as hot as San Jose, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I think I think can you imagine that left side coming in, Brian Rodriguez and Diego Palacios? Yeah, it's scary. the The possibilities are are very scary when you think about what what Bob can do. You know, given you know, given given where Bob draws his inspiration from in terms of his his footballing ideas and how they're going right. to go about it, it's a, it's a scary thought to what he he can potentially mm-hmm. come up with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shades of perhaps Danny Alves and Neymar or whoever, right? Uh, overloading the wings uh, is going to be a big part of the game here, eventually, but. Who knows when we'll actually yeah, see? Yeah, I mean, it. It, it, it's it's the it's the next evolution. Given, you know, again, once you once you've been a team that's ripped people, for, you know, with your possession and some of those different things, you have to find that next way to score. You know, and I think Liverpool showed it this year, where teams were starting to park the bus against their front three and do different things. And so I think like twenty six percent of their goals this past year came from were assisted by their fullbacks. Right. So that's mm-hmm. probably that next evolution where, again, some of these park buses, you're going to have to have someone who can provide cross, you know, accurate service at speed. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. where you're going to start to get from, you know, from from Palacios at minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh, that actually brings us right into our next question as well. Uh, also for Matt, call me Danny. Do you all see Palacios or Rodriguez coming on as subs or not until San, San Jose? Uh, as far as I know, neither one of those players has their work visas. Um, so I don't, and I don't know, honestly, what that process looks like, how long it takes to to secure those. Um, so my assumption is that they would not play against Salt Lake, even though I think it'd be a good game to break them in. Um, and as I said before, San Jose is going to be a big game against a, a team coming in on quite the, on quite the roll. So does Bob roll the dice and start them or are they just subs or how, how he works them in? I'm, I'm honestly not sure. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think given how well, you know, the, the team has been playing as of late, right. I think the nice thing about both of them is that you don't necessarily, you don't honestly, you don't need either one of them to contribute, right? Like mm-hmm. you could take the team we have right now and go forward and be confident that, and there's a 99% chance or whatever it is that 530 has it right now, even without the signings that LAFC is going to win the supporter shield. Right. And, you know, I think it's like a 60% chance at the MLS cup based on statistically. Right. So you right. don't need them to be, you know, to come in and change your fortunes, right? Because your fortunes already have, have you on a record breaking pace. Now what, and again, that's a luxury to have. And it's one thing that, you know, what I think were what's going to work in their favor because you're not worried about th- that Andre Orta moment, right? Where 
his first touch right. on the field loses, you know, a game that every, you know, every supporter has been just dying, dying to have, right. You know, that should have been a two, one, two, one or three, one. That was, I know that game finished in a two. draw. Yeah. I think it was two. I think it ended two, two. Yeah. So yeah, at the time was two, one, right. Should have been a two, one win at, at home, right. To even up the series, but it, and what, at that point now it ends up being, um, you know, a, a draw and, you know, yet another year and that year passes without us having beat, you know, Carson. And so I think, again, there, there's obviously going to be that, that psychological factor that's going to come into play. But given that I believe, um, what did I hear that Diego Rossi's mom is um, Brian Rodriguez's sports psychologist. Right. Right. I, right. You know, which is a pretty neat tidbit. Um you know, mm-hmm. again, I, I honest, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be that opportunity to, to kind of work them in slowly, and to, again, to even, even with mistakes in the biggest moment, again, you're not necessarily the pressure's not on e- either of these guys to really change things up again, because again, it's going to, they're actually, they're actually up against it, trying to break into the starting eleven at this point, right? right? It's like, right, they're it's up to them to earn the spot because none of the guys that are already there are, are, are going to give it up easily. You know, like, I don't think it's any coincidence that Dio has been just been monstrous over the last, you know, he's played 90 minutes or no, he came out. No, he played 90 minutes in this game too. Right. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Dio has been pushing himself and working super hard and trying to really push the envelope. You know, there's a couple times where he probably should have passed and instead, you know, went, Mm -hmm. you know, went charging in at goal. Um, you know, again, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's been playing with that edge and really trying to, you know, push, push himself to, to score and to put himself in the good situations over the last, you know, three or four games. Again, knowing that someone is coming in and trying to take his starting job and ultimately in professional sports, right. Trying to take his money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you see that, you see those little position battles happening all over the, all over the team already, even if you don't count Palacios and, uh, and Rodriguez, where uh, at left back you had uh, Mohamed Munir, who was starting to really come into his own and really providing a lot of offensive spark. And maybe it's coincidental, but as soon as he goes down, Jordan Harvey comes back and starts really contributing so much more in, on the offensive side. Uh, Beta Shore has been pushed by Tristan Blackman. Um, you see Segura come in on this loan and just grab the the you know the left center back position for himself and hasn't relinquished it has played I think more minutes than anybody else on the team um Lee Wynn uh who started the game against SKC uh has seen his minutes reduced because Latif Blessing came in and just stole that spot by uh just breaking SKC when he came in as a sub um so and I mean it's just it's all over the field you see people you see these position battles. Pablo Cisniega is another good example. Um, so the the squad is, uh, I will say, relatively deep given the amount of injuries that we have right now. Thankfully, none too catastrophic. You know, no catastrophic injuries to, you know, the, our starting caliber players. But you have seen it thinned out a little bit. Um, so those position battles are not only healthy, but they're taking place right now. And Palacios and and Rodriguez only add to that. All right, so I hope we we answered all your questions. Um, Josh, is there anything else you wanted to get into at all? Uh, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of different moving pieces in in uh, 
you know, in Major League Soccer, some some uh, you know some new transfers coming in. Um, was it Bojan coming to Montreal from Barcelona mm-hmm. slash Roma, and where else has he played? And I didn't even know he was still still playing. You know, considering he had no, kind no. of fallen off the map a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, over a hundred million dollars, if I if I remember the number correctly, was spent in this transfer window, or or, or maybe this year in transfers. Um, so you're seeing a handful of teams that are really starting to go out and spend, um, and spend smart. I think, I think Atlanta is the one that kind of really, uh, showed everybody what to do. You go out and sign a couple veterans and a couple young, you know, a veteran DP like Joseph Martinez, and then two young guys that you can, that you can start to sell on that you could sell on later, which is exactly what we went out and did or tried to do. We signed Vela, uh, we signed Rossi and and then Andre Horta, and that one didn't work out too well. But you see the next DP that we bring in is another young, dynamic, uh, and promising player that will likely be sold on two or three. Yeah, two or I mean, and years. I think it, um, you know, and after listening to, you know, the interview with Will Koontz on uh, Inside LFC, you know, for those who haven't listened to it with Max and Vince, this one was one that I have to say is a, a must listen because they really go in depth and deep dive into, you know, the transfer, you know, what they're looking to do in the transfer market. And you kind of start to understand what they're looking for, how things go. Um, and again, when you start to hear rumors, you're basically saying, yeah, that's not, that's not an LAFC move. Right. Whereas you see, you see mm-hmm. DC lurking right. after guys like Mesut Ozil and, you know, which would be awesome because, you know, Ozil's cool and uh, Daniel Sturridge, right. And a Liverpool fan, you know, mm-hmm. that'd be awesome to see him in the league and, you know, see if he can, you know, turn his career around. But at the same time, it's those aren't signings that you're likely to see from LAFC. I think LAFC is basically now taking that stand to try and establish themselves, you know, in that in the mold of Ajax or Dortmund or some of these these teams that are, you know, are are players on the on the world market and honestly a stepping stone you know into into the into the big leagues you know whether that be the premier league or into la liga or some of these other ones you know they i think they they're basic from what they said um in that episode they're basically competing with teams like benfica and you know with with the portuguese league and the belgian league at this point right which is insane two years into your Mm -hmm. existence that that's that's who you're now competing with players for right Considering that right. you know Zhao Felix just left Benfica for 126 million dollars, right? So mm-hmm. you have to think that give should LAFC continue on the path and they're able to do some of these different things and find continue to find these pieces, right? Who's that next guy that you're going to be able to sell for a ton of money? Again, as of right now, it's it's seemingly going to be Diego Rossi. You know, hopefully again not until um, you know we'll we'll all be able to breathe easier by the 25th of August. But, you know, at the same time, that's that's where the team's going to be in, the, in terms of the transfer policy and what they're looking for. And so they're constantly going to be thinking ahead, you know, from it seems like they've been they've been tracking um, Palacios for a year. Right. Or if not longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had tried to get him before just that things didn't work out, you know, in terms of what they're, they're them wanting to sell. Um, and same thing with Rodriguez. They, they're keeping out on these guys. They, you know, they talked about. I think the Coons talked about they took the, you know, they had a group of guys that would just watch almost every game at the U20 World Cup, right? So if you want to, if you actually right. want to see who we're going to sign, watch the U20 World Cup in, in you know, 
you know, with with some vigor because again, that's that's likely where you're going to see that next big player come out of for the team. Right, right. Yeah, I mean the the fact that we went out and got Palacios in the form that we did. He's not even a DP. We we I mean everybody everybody loves to point out that we stole him uh, or from the from Barcelona. I don't know if that's totally correct. It, I would imagine that he was told, you know, Barcelona B and you're going to be loaned out for a while until you're ready to break through. Um, but the fact that not only players, but agents and, you know, other teams like Peñarol are, are willing to go into business um, with LAFC as a, as a springboard for the young players is really impressive. Like you said, especially in, in just our second season of existence. Um, so the future is bright and I'm, I'm pumped to see, what kind of talent we continue to bring through. Um, if that's all you have, Josh, that's all yeah. I have for tonight. Yep. And Are I you think good? we looks like we'll be back okay. um, with the, Oh, I won't be. So this, this Saturday we have a special guest coming on on Saturday night. We'll leave that for, for announcement. I think we want to leave that to, to be announced later on who our special guests. No, I, I told him I was going to, I was going to bring it up tonight. That way he was absolutely oh, obligated and couldn't bail on me. So we have the pod father himself, Jerry Jimenez from Heart of LAFC, um, coming on to do the incident reaction with me because Josh will be off gallivanting on Saturday night doing. Is it your dad's birthday? Is that what it was? Yeah, it's for my dad turning sixty. So I got, I got, I got yeah. some family things. Yeah. Yes, yes, we're all about it. Um, so Jerry's been kind enough to agree. So now Jerry, everybody knows it, and you can't back out. Um, so. Everybody, make sure to tell your friends about that episode because I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, and then we will see Josh back here next week with our in-depth analysis of our match against Salt Lake. Hopefully, it's another win. Yeah, and then um, we'll, I think we have a quick turnaround because then we have instant match reaction like the next day with that midweek yes, game with San Jose. Against San Jose and then the Galaxy. Oh, next week is going to be brutal, man. It's going to be brutal. Maybe I need to take a break too. <laughs> I know, right? You might have to take one of these yourself. Um in the meantime, you can follow me at Kirk Kinsey on Twitter. You can follow the show at counterpress underscore or email us at the counterpress show at gmail.com. Josh, where can we find you? At LAFC Josh on Twitter. Okay. And look for his scouting report with Dolly Black and Gold. Also, real quick, thank you to Are We LAFC for the shout out on your podcast this morning. Uh, LAFC pod, pod fam coming through and uh, promoting us. That was awesome. Thanks for that, guys. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye.